Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. Now let's join today's broadcast. Welcome to Georgia Baptist Discipleship, where we seek to bring you crazy cool discipleship innovations and trusted disciple-making principles. And today, I've got Ken Braddy, the Director of Sunday School and Network Partnerships with Lifeway Christian Resources. He's been the Managing Director of the Adult Ongoing Bible Studies, such as Bible Studies for Life, Explore the Bible, Masterwork, Gospel Project, You, and so many more. Now, through his team's work at Lifeway, they serve 3 million-plus adults each week. Just an incredible um, thing that they do at Lifeway. We're super grateful for Ken, his friendship, and all that they do. Also, I've got Matthew Gibbs with us. Matthew is the Discipleship and Evangelism Pastor at Second Baptist Warner Robins here in Georgia. And been doing that about 15 years at Second Baptist, but he's also served in uh, other churches in, in multiple different states and categories for over 25 years. And he's just a core piece of our discipleship team as one of our consultants and a close trusted friend. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for jumping on with me. Scott, good to be here. And Matthew, man, good to see you again. Thanks. It's good to be here with both of you guys. Looking forward to our conversation together this morning. Absolutely. Now, today's topic is one of those that every church leader needs to pay attention to. I wouldn't say it's one of those that we like to pay attention to because it really can get into that place within us that we sometimes we like to put it on a shelf and not deal with it, but you can't ignore curriculum, whether to use it or not use it. Now, friends, let me just remind you that we do like to give free product away. So make sure that you leave a comment and that'll get you entered into that. And if you share today's broadcast, you will get double entry into that and may just get an opportunity to go um, golfing with Ken Braddy up in the mountains of the Swiss Alps next year, something like that. All right. I, I'm in, Scott. That's awesome. Here we go. All right, Matthew, jump in, buddy. Uh, take off with our first question. Well, Ken, first of all, let me just say thank you for being with us and appreciate all that you do uh, at Lockway for uh, churches and and uh, especially for those of us who are still in the trenches doing this. We appreciate so much your work, and it is good to be with you again. Before we talk specifically about curriculum, let's kind of build a foundation and let's let's uh, talk about maybe the general purpose of Bible study on Sunday morning, Sunday school, what we call Sunday school. People are giving it different names, but kind of give us a foundation for the purpose of Sunday morning Bible study. Yeah, you bet, Matthew. And I'm going to give you this perspective, uh, you know, from my perch at Lifeway and also from my position as a group leader. I'm a, a group leader at my church at Bel Air Baptist here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And uh, our church uh, has chosen a particular uh, Lifeway curriculum. So I have the joy of, you know, being in a teaching rotation and leading uh, the Bible study of uh, a good sized group of people. So uh, what I like to tell folks about Sunday school uh, is that uh, it's got one big main purpose, and it comes straight from the Great Commission, and that's to make disciples. Mm. Uh, you can boil it down to you know a lot of different things, but ultimately, that's I think really what it comes down to is that we exist as groups to make disciples. And uh, yeah, you say, well, okay, what does that look like? The research really has told us there's about eight different things that you know people that are growing as disciples do, and so we know from research those eight things. And that's what I'm looking for, you know, in, in my life and also in the lives of the people that I'm teaching and leading, I want to see that they are growing in those eight different areas. But foundationally, 
it's about making disciples. And a lot of other things happen. You know, we serve together, we do ministry together, you know, we bring in uh, new people to the group, uh, we teach and all those kind of things. But, but all that wraps up into this mission of making disciples. And I love it. Now, Ken, so when I was uh, in the local church, agreed with everything you just said. And what we figured out how to do is we, we boiled that down into four pieces of language. Now, your predecessor, Alan Taylor, um, I think was Sunday school director for a few years. And he was, uh, I don't know if he came up with this or at least was something that was in one of his tool belts. But that thing, and maybe you heard this too, Ken, about uh, Sunday school exists to reach, teach, and minister. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've heard that for years. And I, in first 10 years, 15 years of my ministry, that's what I used. But I got to a point with our people where they, they were not catching the idea of multiplying. And I've, I've so what I did was I re- added the reach, teach, minister, and multiply. and just threw that in there. Of course, you and I know when we talk about reaching, multiplying is part of it. Right. But our people didn't know that. So I added it in there. And because I found that when we want our people to be and do something, we have to give them a language to lead and reinforce that expectation. So, yeah. um, man, thanks for clarifying and, and getting us a foundation. So let me follow up with this question. Uh, for a number of our leaders here that do not use curriculum and only see the Bible as that necessary tool for teaching, how does curriculum help us achieve the purpose of what we are trying to do in these groups and settings? Yeah, great question. Because I've heard that, you know, in, in every church that I've served, uh, you know, hey, can we just teach the Bible, you know? And, and ultimately, even if you're using a curriculum product, uh, like something we produce or another uh, publisher produces, the curriculum is actually still the Bible. That does not change. The curriculum just gives us a guide for where to be in the real curriculum, the Bible. And so what I'd say is that, you know, if the goal is to make disciples in our Bible study groups, uh, curriculum can, can play a major part in that. And here's why. We know that uh, one of those eight attributes of growing disciples is that they engage in Scripture daily. That comes straight from the Transformational Groups Research Project, largest discipleship uh, research gathering uh, in North America. And so the, the data just suggests that you know, daily engagement is, is really the most important factor in whether or not I or you or anybody is going to grow from this year to the next. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about it, you know, people are extremely nonlinear in their attendance these days, right? So I see it in my group. You see a couple, and you know, week number one of a month, and it may be the third or fourth week before you see them again. Well, what are they doing to self-feed in between times that they come to the group? This is where curriculum and a study guide can can be a, such a, an invaluable tool to have in their hands so that they can keep up with the group when they're not there and learn to self-feed. They don't need to become, you know, codependent. I don't need to be dependent upon them coming to the group and affirming my teaching. And, you know, they don't need me to, you know, dump all the information from the Bible into their heads. They need to learn to to self-feed and do it for themselves. And so uh, that, you know, curriculum product, like that study guide, can be such a powerful tool to make sure that they've got a plan uh, for walking through the scripture and keeping up with the group when they're not there. So I think that's one of the big ways that curriculum helps support that goal of making disciples. Hey, Scott, I wanted to just piggyback on what Ken says, because it's what he says is is right on target. And for a lot of uh, my ministry, we use the term curriculum to describe the LifeWave material or whatever we were using. And that's a great tool but I have started using the language that he mentioned where we just specifically say, guys, gals, 
the curriculum is the Bible. What we're calling the curriculum is simply a resource to provide guidance, even maybe guardrails, to make sure that we are studying the Bible. Well, I love it, Matthew, because like the, the way I say it, it, it gives us a guide and a guard. So it guides our preparation because not everybody knows how to study the Bible effectively. And that's really how we end up getting cults and things like that is they read one passage and draw from that. So it's a guide, but it also guards our theology. Um, Love it. What's our next question here, Matthew? Well, Ken, when we talk about curriculum, uh, one of the things that I've, I've kind of played around with this in several areas where I've served, there's kind of pros and cons between giving our leaders and our groups options for curriculum versus a unified curriculum. Right now, I've chosen a unified curriculum, but I'm curious to hear from you. What are, what would you say are some of the pros and cons of those different approaches to using and utilizing uh, curriculum as a resource? Yeah, this is a great relevant question because most of the churches that Lifeway serves, uh, they do not have a unified approach. Now, when I was doing minister of education work full-time in Texas in two churches before I came to Lifeway, uh, I made sure that we were unified, Matthew. And so I chose one of the Lifeway curriculum series, had my reasons for picking the particular one that I did, and uh, asked every group, every group leader to march in step uh, together. And so uh, that's what we did. And in fact, the second church that I served were all over the map when I first got there. And they were a little suspicious about us doing a unified approach, but in time, they came to love it. So then when I came to Nashville and started serving a small church here in the area, when I arrived, they were were using three different Lifeway series. So I had a big decision. Do I, you know, burst their bubble, make them, force them to do one thing, or do I just let the groups, you know, keep using the, the Lifeway curriculum that they had chosen? And that's what I decided to do. I decided not to blow the place up, and to let them, uh, you know, use uh, what you know best fit their group. So that's kind of a preamble to uh, what I'll say about the pros and, and the cons. So I think one of the pros for allowing a group to pick, you know, what they want to study, is that you honor the preference of that group uh, for the kind of Bible study that they like to do. And the illustration, Matthew, that I've I've used over the years is, you know, how do you like to eat your steak? So true story. I'm a you know medium kind of a guy, you know. So if you ask me, how do you want your steak prepared? Like, medium, well is fine. But my son, uh, my college kid, likes it medium rare. My mother, when she was living, would when we would take her out to a steak restaurant, would order hers well done. And I literally, guys, had to put those two people on opposite ends of the table because my son's steak was swimming in a pool of blood. My mother couldn't handle that, you know. And so I'm the guy in the middle, right? And so what I've learned is, you know, that we were all eating steak and we all thought the steak was pretty great, but we were eating it in three different ways. And so Bible study groups tend to have preferences how they like to study. Some like to go book by book, others topical, others chronological. And so uh, if you give the groups some options, you are definitely letting them play into their Bible study preference rather than you know, forcing them to, to do one thing. And they feel honored and respected and listened to. I think that's a good reason to uh, consider doing that. One of the cons, though, is, you know, it's hard to do training uh, on a curriculum. So, Matthew, whatever your church has chosen, what you have chosen, uh, if you wanted to, you could provide training on that curriculum and everybody could participate in that. You may get some better teaching and teachers uh, through that. 
So I think that's one of those uh, good things. And then, you know, getting curriculum distributed. There's always that day of the quarter where you got to go put stuff in classrooms. And, you know, if everybody's on different things, it makes, uh, it makes it hard. So one unified curriculum, a lot quicker and easier. And, uh, and teachers, you know, they, they may not, uh, if, you're, if you're giving them uh, options, they may actually say something like this. Well, I see the options you're suggesting, but I want to teach from this book at the local Christian bookstore that this pastor just you know, released. And you're like, you, you know things about that pastor. You don't want that in your church and some of the theology. And so now you got a little fight on your hands because, well, you're giving other groups choices. Why can't we have that choice? And so it opens up, you know, that, that little can of worms. Those are all great answers. And, and I think it's important for our listeners to, to understand we're not saying that one is right and one is wrong, but both sides of that argument or that decision have both pros and cons. Um, we chose a unified curriculum for a number of reasons. We're actually doing a chronological study. We're using the, the gospel project. Mm-hmm. And the primary reasoning behind that was just helping people see uh, the meta narrative of the Bible, the, see the Bible as one big story rather than a bunch, just a bunch of little stories. Uh, and, and there, it took about a year to, to make that transition. But, uh, our folks, like you said, in your story, your experience, they really love that now and they're, they're enjoying that. So, uh, but we've done both. Uh, there is a, a when you've got really great teachers who are solid in their theology, giving them a little bit of an option, they take a little bit of ownership. Right. So I think you just have to consider maybe the culture of your church that and and the nature of the people you're leading, uh, and realize that you know you can lead them, and if you give them some 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 reasoning behind, you can make that decision. But it's it's great to involve them in that process as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen some churches, you know, guys that, uh, that ask the, excuse me, they ask their groups to follow a curriculum plan three of the four quarters of the year, but summers, they may give them that option to say, look, uh, during the summer, uh, pick something that you like to study. We'll approve it in advance. But that kind of gives groups that, oh, okay, they're, you know, they're, they don't have a stranglehold on us. You know, they're, they're allowing us to have these choices. And so that's another option uh, that I've seen happen. But Matthew, one of the things, you know, that you're, uh, that you're, you know, moving your groups to do by having that unified curriculum is a now training is a possibility. what is using Gospel Project. It makes it very easy to explain to the guests that are coming in because I've had guests ask me, so what do your groups teach? They wanted to pick the group by, you know, based on the topic. And it makes it so easy at the Guest Information Center to be able to say, in all of our groups, we're studying chronologically. We're going through the Bible. So it doesn't matter, you know, which group you pick, that's what we're going to do. And that's a very clarifying uh, thing for the new members or the potential new members, you know, that are coming into your church. And also, Matthew, if somebody calls you and says, you know, hey, it's Saturday night and I'm sick, I can't come. Well, you can either combine a group or if you've got two Sunday school hours, one teacher from one hour can sub in and it makes it, it makes it really easy. Yeah, absolutely. So the unified approach is, is a great approach if your church, you know, is, is willing to go do that. We actually have some leaders that teach multiple classes because of that, because they study yes. different hours or di- even different days because they only once one lesson to study. It's not that big of a deal to teach it more than once. So there's a lot of pros and cons to both. I think it's just deciding what fits your church culture. And again, I guess the underlying principle is use a resource that gets you into the Bible, stay in the Bible, and you're properly studying doctrine correctly. 
I think that's a great point. Let me hit that real quick. And I know you guys may want to move on from this question, but uh, back in the day when in my very first church, uh, it was a mission start and we were attracting people from all over this growing community. And we discovered very quickly, they were not all Southern Baptists, lo and behold, you know? And so we would have a, a lady come who's got a Methodist background, that her, but her husband's a Presbyterian. Or, you know, the husband's a Southern Baptist, but the wife is nothing. She really hasn't gone to church. And we knew as we were growing that, that these people would probably end up in time being future group leaders for us. And that was a concern because of their mixed background. So I chose Explore the Bible in that church for all the adult groups so that we could march through all 66 books of the Bible in time and give people an orientation to you know the whole of scripture. We didn't have Gospel Project back then. And so that was one of the reasons that I looked at the context of our church and who the constituents were and then made the choice to go explore the Bible. Listen, fellas, I am picking up what y'all are putting down. I've got things in my mind that I hadn't even thought about as you're sitting there um, talking about the unified approach. The last group I helped to kind of work through this, they they went with the multiple options and mm-hmm. Uh, and the really th- what came down for them was they have people different phases of life and their phases of life they felt like had different needs. Like my dad at seventy five wanted may want to study word for word as opposed to the twenty one year old mother of two, you know, wanted some of the topical type of things. And um, one other thing I would add here too, when you give them a choice um, or whether you give the unified approach, help them to own it. You mm-hmm. know, whichever give them kind of guide them to that decision and they'll be less likely to gripe when they do. So, um, hey, let's jump into one more here. Um, let's say we agree to use curriculum and we see the value of mapping that out, where we're going to go as learners. Ken, give us some practical ideas on how to choose curriculum because, you know, one-on-one guy comes in, he's trying to figure this out. Maybe he's a new Sunday school director. Maybe he's a paid staff member working through this. And they say, okay, let's look at all the options out there. When you start looking at the options, there are lots of options of what people can do to begin to study. So how would we choose curriculum? Great question. I'm going to start out by saying two ways not to do it. And that is something we teach in our Sunday School Essentials Conference. Uh, Scott, you've been there and you've heard me say this, but uh, you do not uh, choose curriculum based on the latest and the greatest, you know, that's just come out because there is so much coming out and you guys know you get, you get the mail at the office and it's every week, somebody's got something else new out there. So anybody with a computer is now a publisher, right? And so you have a lot of options. And so I would say, don't, you know, see something that's latest and greatest and just hop to it. It may be the very next thing that your church needs. That's a good possibility, but I would spend some time exploring it and thoroughly checking out anything like that before I made the hop. And then I would also say this, don't choose based on price. Mm-hmm. because um, that's a terrible way to go about uh, picking a curriculum. And I know some folks that have said, well, curriculum is just so expensive. And we can talk about that here in a minute. It's actually not when you think about the cost per person. But some folks uh, would say, you know, we're, we're, just, we're not going to pick that series over here by that publisher uh, because we don't like the, the pricing of it. It's just too high. So I'd say don't use those. Instead of those, uh, let's think about the needs of those group members first and the context. We've already talked about this. I'll hit it very quickly, like 15 seconds here. But, uh, you know, we've talked about doing book by book studies and for Lifeway, you know, that's explore the Bible. Topically, that would be Bible studies for life. And then chronologically, that's gospel project. And so uh, I would say, you know, what is the the vibe? What's the culture of my church, Matthew? Uh, 
And, and and Scott, you you may decide the vibe here is you know we're going to have different kinds of curriculum to fit different kinds of generations. Perfectly great strategy. You might say, like Matthew's done, hey, we've been, we're going to be unified around one of those three. So I'd say that kind of be a starting point is you know what type of Bible study is how do you want to eat the steak like we talked about earlier. So that's one thing. But then I would also look at the publisher. And this is very important, I think. Um, I had a, a staff member once come to me. He wanted to change our kids' curriculum. And I said, well, that's great. Uh, why do you want to do that? And he said, well, I just feel like we need something different. And I said, okay, uh, tell me about uh, the doctrinal stand of this publisher that you want to switch to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they teach everything that we do. And I said, do they really? I said, well, would you get a list from their website of the doctrines that are included uh, in their curriculum. So he got that, printed it out, brought it to me a week later, and we looked at it, and he's put it across the desk and said, see, they teach what we do. And I looked at it, and I said, where's baptism? And he looked at the list, and he goes, oh, it's not on there. That's weird. And then I said, where's security of the believer? He goes, oh, that's not there either? And no. And I said, so here's what you have to understand, that there are some publishers that will not touch on some doctrines that we value as Southern Baptists that are core to who we are because they are producing their curriculum for a broad audience that don't have agreement on security of the believer or believer's baptism and those things. So it's important to see what they teach. It's also important to see what is omitted from the curriculum. Does that make sense, guys? Absolutely. That's a great point, And then, you know, I also then would look at leader resources because quite honestly, the leaders are the engine of our Bible study ministries and we need them equipped and they need to feel good about their curriculum. So I would want to know from any publisher, what resources do you have available for my group leaders? So of course there's going to be a leader guide, but beyond that, you know, are there, are there podcasts they can listen to that may help you know, preview the next week's lesson that's coming up? Do they have kits, you know, with posters and charts and maps and those kind of things? Do they have extra, you know, things like, you know, videos online that they can go watch or show as maybe not show it as a teaching thing, but more of a, um, uh, an advertisement almost, you know, for the group. And so I'd want to know what is the publisher able to provide my leaders so that they can do a better job there in the trenches. And then I would say this, and I've done this in almost every church I've served. Um, I would say, as you make a curriculum choice and you're looking at choosing curriculum, I've always found this, uh, very helpful that uh, none of us is as smart as all of us. You know, the, the proverb, that says, you know, plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So I've always put together a, a curriculum a research team of, you know, people from adults, students, and kids that would help me. I order competitor curriculum and we spread it out and we look at it for weeks. And, and that has been invaluable because the group comes to a consensus about which publisher's material is best for us because of price, theology, doctrine, resources, you know, all those kinds of things. And so I, I've used all of that in decision-making, you know, in the churches where I've served. Matthew, before what you just said there, because when you do that, when you build a team, mm -hmm. there's not only ownership, but those of you guys who are watching this that maybe are in, in churches where you're, you're the only guy doing that, or maybe you're a volunteer, that choice doesn't fall on all on you. There's more of a consensus and people are, are more apt to, to buy into that when they know there's been a consensus among a group of people that have worked to make that happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And Matthew, before you jump into our open group, closed group question, let me make one point here that our group has experienced 
So there's a difference uh, in self-published material and then professional publishing house. And let me just make a a differentiation of why um, I think this is important. Many of your self-published materials that come out may or probably don't even have a professional editor. Okay. So that's really important when you begin to look at curriculum, but also um, the that professional publishing house like a Lifeway or uh, that sort of thing, they're going to have a team working on this. So you don't just have one person's view, and there are multiple layers of vetting before the curriculum material, even the 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 word, the language, ever gets to the end user, the learner like us. So just be careful when you uh, can save fifty cents a booklet to go with a self, some guy who's self-published um, because you're probably going to find that's not worth it. Matthew? And before we jump into that, this next segment, let me, I'm going to piggyback on that because Scott, that's super important. And I've asked this question. Uh, if you've got a teenager in the house and Scott, I know you do, Matthew, I'm not sure if you do or not, or not at this point. So you They're all grown now. So, okay. Well, praise the Lord. Empty nester. Um, I have, I've asked this question of, of moms and dads and uh, used it to talk about this particular issue in curriculum development is it the single you know self-published person or a, a team like we have you know lifeway or any other uh, publishing house um the question is this if your son or daughter just turned 16 years old do you want to go put them in a car that was de- designed and built by one engineer or a team of engineers which car would you pick well, we're all going to pick the one with the multiple engineer team. Why? Because one person, one engineer cannot be the expert in propulsion and braking and electrical and everything else. It takes a team of people yeah. to create the the wonderfully intricate cars that we drive. And literally, it's the same thing with curriculum. We've got experts in biblical languages. We've got experts in you know how to create effective study plans and create engagement. And so when you get multiple people, and Scott, something you said was super important, that vetting process so that you're looking at things doctrinally. I mean, I've been in groups where somebody wrote their material and introduced heresy into the group. And I challenged the teacher one time on this when he said something very wrong, and uh, and I just I could not let it lay. But that's sometimes what happens when you do your own thing and you self-publish and there's no one backing you up and vetting your own material. Yes. It gets kind of dangerous. It could get dangerous quickly. That, that falls right into what you said earlier about the doctrinal challenges with when you look at curriculum too. I know as Southern Baptists as Baptists, we want our teaching, our training, our doctrine to be specifically Baptistic. And sometimes when you choose, and, and by the way, this is not an advertisement for Lifeway. There's no kickbacks here, at least not to me. I don't know about what. And no, no, not at all. Specifically, when you choose those curriculums that are for a broader audience, you do open yourself up to some some dangerous uh, doctrinal issues that you may not want to introduce your people to. Now, it's good for them to know the different doctrines, but again, curriculum that is intentionally Baptistic will lead them in things like believer's baptism, eternal security, those those type things, and not all curriculums do that. So that, that was a great point, and, and folks may not have thought about that. Hey, let's switch gears here for a minute. Ken, you know, we talk about this term, and some people may or may not know what this means, open group toward versus closed group. And it's really important, especially for those Sunday morning Bible studies, Sunday school type Bible studies, to be open group. So explain why that's important in choosing a curriculum. 
Yeah, it's really, really important. And again, this is one of those things we teach at our uh, Sunday School Essentials Conference, uh, just to make sure that the folks that are there understand these differences, because uh, the philosophy uh, will dictate the type of curriculum you ought to have in those two different kinds of groups. So an open group really has a couple of uh, key characteristics. One is that an open group expects new people to be there every week. Now, will they? We don't know. But there's the expectation that they would. And so uh, that's going to affect, you know, us having, you know, open seating and extra study guides and, you know, maybe wearing name tags and those kinds of things. And we're also going to do characteristic number two, and that is we're going to make sure that in an open group, we're using ongoing curriculum. And how do we define that? It's an, an ongoing curriculum series will have lessons that stand alone as a complete and satisfying Bible study experience. So if somebody pops into my group this week that's never been there before, they ought to be able in an open group using ongoing curriculum to flow right in to the Bible study and not feel like, oh my goodness, they're halfway through Matthew. Uh, man, we just need to come back when they start another book because we're so lost. They're, they're halfway through it. In an ongoing group, that doesn't matter because every study, uh, even though there is a succession, uh, it, not, it does not necessarily build on the previous lessons. Now, there will be some familiarity, obviously, as you're going through a book like Matthew or whatever. But uh, a guest ought to be able to feel like they can just jump right into the flow of the study. They're not lost. They can you know, pick up speed and kind of get on the freeway, basically, and get up to speed quickly. In a closed group, uh, it's, it is what it says. Once the group starts, it's not open to new members coming in uh, for a couple of reasons. One is typically the homework in a closed group is pretty severe. It may even require Monday through Friday, you know, daily reading and studying and responding. And that may take 30 minutes to an hour a day. So there's a higher level of commitment. Uh, to that kind of a group. But, uh, you know, once they start and get past week number two, uh, that group, uh, the group is closed. Now, I had to fight a pastor of mine. I served with uh, three pastors so far, and my second pastor wanted me to introduce closed groups on Sunday mornings. Hmm. And I told him, I said, I cannot do that. And I said, this is going to be one of those hills to die on. And I said, and I understand if you don't want me to be on the staff anymore, I get it. And he said, well, tell me why this is such a big deal. He said, it feels like this ought to be a good strategy because we got a lot of people on Sunday mornings. And I said uh, to this pastor, I said, look, the space in which we're meeting is, you know, 200 bucks a square foot, highly valuable space. And I said, what I don't want to do is to put a closed group in there that cannot receive new people weekly over, you know, 13 weeks or so. Uh, I said, those typically will start out, you know, with a specific number. And then over time, there's attrition. So they end up even smaller, you know, toward the end. And I said uh, to this pastor, I said, I want a group that can grow and attract new people and, and grow, outgrow its space and, and, and require me to plant another group out of it, you know, into another classroom because the space is too valuable and too expensive to us to have a group that is going to be closed and then probably diminish in attendance over time. And he just never thought about that. And he goes, oh, well, that makes great sense. So, yeah, keep on going. So but we did not uh, we did not have to turn that into a, a closed group uh, class. Wow. What a conversation. And based on my conversations, Ken, with pastors and leaders talking through these groups, I would say that most of our pastors and groups leaders have not made a decision or nor have they communicated whether their groups are open or closed. It's yeah. just they just have them. Yeah. It's that assumption that if we create a group, if we create Sunday school, life group, whatever, yeah. and get people in that, that that's going to disciple our people and we check the box and move on and we're we're depending on a program to make disciples at that point and not an intentional effort to make disciples. And we're using a program 
yeah. towards the end of of making disciples. So great, great thought there. Now let me ask you this about curriculum-based Bible study and sermon-based. So those are two things that are out there. Um, are you seeing any trends of what churches are using the curriculum-based versus the sermon-based? And are and, and talk to me about some benefits one way or another, because we have a number. I mean, just off the top of my head, I could give you six or eight churches within 30 minutes of my house who are trying it, experimenting, using it, but the jury is still out. They don't really know. Yeah. So you're, uh, well, this, this is where the show goes off the rails here because I've got a very strong opinion about this and it is not, and I underscored not because I work for Lifeway. Uh, this was my opinion many, many moons ago, and it's based on schooling, education, experience, and all those things. I will say that, uh, that there are occasions where a sermon-based uh, philosophy uh, could work in the short term. And I've actually used that with uh, my last pastor. Uh, we did some sermon-based groups like at the first of the year or the first of fall, kind of get the church unified around a message series, you know, so start the new year and then start the, the fall those kinds of things. But then we went right back into our ongoing strategy. And so I've actually done that. What I would not recommend is the the sermon-based strategy year-round. And uh, there's where I just probably stepped on some toes. So let me explain and unpack you know, why I think that. So you asked about the trends. Uh, typically, that medium to large to mega church is the one that's using this kind of a philosophy. I don't really see this with our normative-sized churches. They're they're you know sold out to uh, an ongoing curriculum series, and they're not doing uh, sermon based. Uh, I've seen that the the sermon based is is difficult to maintain over time. It's exhausting because somebody on staff has to probably toward the end of the week get the pastor's message. And I've heard of guys getting it like on Friday afternoon late, and then they're having to come up with questions that they're going to quickly you know put together based on the manuscript. And then email out to the teachers on maybe Saturday morning. And then that's the first time the teachers are seeing that before they go in and lead a group on Sunday. I'm not a huge fan of that. I'm a much bigger fan of uh, you know having something in my hands that I'm studying all week long. And then my people are studying all week long and leading up to a Bible study experience is really engaging. The other reason that I have a, a slight issue with the sermon-based approach is that we're not doing Bible study, guys. We're, we're, we're studying or talking about a, a sermon we're not in Bible study, and there's a huge difference between talking about what somebody said in the sermon and doing Bible study in our Bible study groups. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes. The other issue that I've got is the the, and I mentioned it earlier, the nonlinear attendance patterns of folks today. Um, it's not like we've got a ton of less people coming to our church. We've most of us have the same amount of folks coming, maybe even more. Some of us are growing now post COVID. But what's happened is they're just coming less frequently. And so I have to think as a leader on a church staff, what am I doing to my people to ensure that they are on some kind of a discipleship pathway that's going to help them grow? And if I say, well, it's going to be sermon-based, then I'm pretty much saying, then, okay, you come on week number one, we're going to talk through five or so questions about the pastor's sermon, and then in the next several weeks that they're not there because they're traveling, they're sick, they're you know, whatever the reason is that they're gone, my question is, what are they doing to be discipled? How are they discipling themselves? How are they engaging in God's Word daily? Because we know that's so important. If we if we base it all on the sermon, then are we handicapping our folks and not setting them up for success and growth as a disciple? So I, I've always leaned toward 
you know, having a resource like a study guide in everybody's hands that they can study, you know, at the office, at the house, you know, on a road trip, a business trip, and keep right up with that group, you know, whether they're there or not. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now, it does. Some of the pros, I mean, Scott, you know, you know, I mean, if you do the, you know, the, the sermon-based approach, you say, well, we don't have to buy curriculum. And so oh, yeah. there's a money savings. And that would be true. However, there is a cost that is still associated with producing sermon base because somebody's got to do it. And that person is being paid a salary by the church. And they're probably going to go use a copy machine that is owned by a lease, you know, by the church. And so you factor in their time and their salary and the hours that they may spend on this project. And then all of a sudden you might think, uh oh, we're not saving as much money as we thought we were, and we're wearing out a staff member. And then what happens if that person leaves the staff? Because I've seen that happen. And then all of a sudden there is nobody left to continue that philosophy of sermon-based and it can fall apart pretty quickly. Yeah. And the ways that I've seen the sermon-based process work long-term now short-term, I mean, you can piece some stuff together. You can get through it, make it work, but long-term number one, a group vets the questions and the content rather than a person. When it's just a person, that's where we get back into the same thing. It's just one person's thoughts and it's not as quality. The second one is that they get to a point where they have to pay a person to do this, to oversee, even with a group. And even though you're going through different avenues, there is a paid person who's doing it, which again, you're not saving any money because you're paying a person rather than buying the content. And then the third thing that I've noticed, Ken, is that the pastor teacher is highly qualified to teach the content in the large group. Right. And then that groups flesh out the principles that are taught. I could give you a name at Hebron Church here. Uh, Landon Dowden, the pastor, they're highly qualified. He teaches for an hour on Sunday morning, and then the groups flesh that out. He is unbelievable teacher. So it works for them in that content to context. The cons that I see the group leader isn't studying the scriptures anymore. So they're basically showing up to just flesh out what the pastor has been studying. And some of the group leaders that I've talked to, Ken, they're like, I, one of my big benefits was that I was studying the scriptures all week long rather than just facilitating a discussion. Yeah. And then um, the other part is trusting the group leader's interpretation of the pastor's teaching. You know, unless you're having regular teacher yeah. l- uh, meetings where you're working through all that, you're just putting a lot of trust in those uh, untrained leaders to interpret what the pastor was teaching. So Agreed. And, and, you know, another factor here to consider as church leaders, you know, when we have this decision in front of us is uh, we know, uh, we know, from scripture that God gifts some of his people with the gift of teaching and knowledge. Yeah. And they are to be teachers in the church. And if we're just asking questions, you know, based on a sermon message, uh, and that's the, you know, the year round philosophy, uh, have we, have we said something about our belief in God's ability to provide the teachers that our churches need? Because we know his Holy spirit is gifting people with that spiritual gift to serve our churches. And so, I would not want to shortcut, you know, that type of uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit by going that other route and then turning my teachers that are really gifted by the Spirit to teach uh, into, you know, question asking uh, facilitators. I, I do like the idea, honestly, Scott, of, of short-term uh, bursts of sermon-based uh, yeah. with the intent of, of calling the church back into groups and calling the church to rally and unify around a message for a short season. And then using that to inject some new life and energy into the group ministry. I love that. 
Great idea. But, uh, you know, the guy from Lifeway whose company sells study guides and, you know, stays in business because of that, uh, you, you know, don't think I'm saying that because of that. Uh, just I think educationally, we're stronger if we have, uh, you know, a different approach. And I guess the final thing I'll say here is this, and this is no offense to any pastor who is listening uh, at all, but one of the hardest things that we do at Lifeway is to balance the curriculum over time. It's the hardest work we do because we have to decide for the next, you know, three, six, 10 years in these curriculum series, where are we going to go? What passages will we be in? And we try to balance Old and New Testament. We try to balance genres, the five different genres of scripture, so that there is a, a healthy, you know, eating of God's word, uh, you know, and, and not just like if you take your kids to the buffet and they're going for the chocolate pudding and pizza, you know, uh, we want to make sure that we're all over the scripture and giving healthy approaches uh, to studying all of God's word, all the counsel of the word. And so sometimes, you know, when pastors are planning out their message, they're not thinking three and five and 10 years down the road. They're thinking maybe this year or maybe this month. And sometimes that does not lead to the most balanced walk through scripture. And if yeah. that philosophy trickles down into our groups, then we are not giving our folks, you know, the full uh, counsel of God. So I think that's another thing to think about as an educator. That's great. And there's so much, Matthew, Ken, there's so much here that we can unpack. But I want to close this part here. And we've got other questions. We'll do this again on, on other topics. But I want to leave you, the listeners, with a thought. This could, because at the end of the day, what you teach matters as much as how you teach. And both the what and the how matter to Jesus, so it should matter to us. When you study his life, he cared about both of those. And this is one of the reasons we put together the Spark Conference. Um, it's now being used by 19 state conventions, thousands registered, over 33 different states, three countries. Uh, we have six in-person locations here in Georgia in August, September of 2023. Dozens of online sessions. And for those who come in person, you get all the online content for free. Uh, if you're not in Georgia, you can still purchase that vault and have that to train your leaders, train yourself. You can get that by going to www.thesparkconference.com, and we'll put that in the chat. Ken Braddy, Matthew Gibbs, thanks for sharing today on this important topic. Lana Melton, John Graham, thanks for producing. And I want to remind our listeners that we're only able to do this because you give to the cooperative program. So thank you. And I pray that today's discussion with Ken and Matthew will equip you to think deeply, invest purposefully, and dream big as we make world-impacting disciples. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple-making.